0: What's up, guys? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks movie podcast.
1: Show me the zombies!
0: (laughs) I am Michael, and I am here with Austin. Austin, how you doing? Yo, what up? I'm well. Uh, Ryan. Ryan, what's up? What's
2: going on, film fans?
0: Yeah, and we have a very, very, very special guest today. uh, Dave Cyrus, who's one of the writers of the new Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson film, The King of Staten Island. Dave, how are you? Good. Thank you. Good enough. Uh, Welcome, man. (laughs) Good enough. Glad to have you here.
1: Thank you. Uh, uh, Thank you for having me.
0: So if anyone noticed, Ryan did yell something about zombies. And you might just be thinking it's Ryan doing a Ryan bit. But it's a tie in. It's a tie in today's film, Mm -hmm. which is 28 days later. Oh Um, A Danny Boyle film, uh, a sort of post apocalyptic zombie classic. I will admit that I watched it for the first time for this, oh my so God. my take will be full of ignorance. Uh, but yeah, was I was started. just going to say that. I'm surprised because yeah, you lived in the UK
3: for like five years too, so. We
0: can talk about why I haven't seen it if we need to, but for the time being, let's. I'm curious to hear what you all <laughs> think about this film. I imagine all of you have seen it, uh, I'll say multiple times. So, uh, Austin, let's start with you. What are your, What's your initial take on 28 Days Later? First time you saw it and this time you saw it.
3: Yeah, so again, I too lived in the UK for a long time, and so this was like a classic that I had to see, right? I think it was listed as like one of the hundred greatest British films of all time or something like that, and people really ride Danny Boyle's dick in the UK, especially if you work in the film industry, so I was like, all right, I guess I gotta see this film. So it was super, super, super hyped up, and I fell in love with it when I first saw it because it was the first time that I had really seen the fast zombie thing, right, Which, which was a big issue. Um I loved how gritty it was. I loved the cinematography. Um uh there's that one bit where they're driving in the taxi and the fucking like poppy fields are all surrealist and van goey or some shit that I was like, "Oh my god, there's there's just some really unique techniques even in a relatively uh kind of low budget film, right?" Um I remember I was blown away how the fuck did they get the streets of London so freaking quiet? I was like, how did that happen at the beginning? I was like, holy shit, man. Um, so I think from a formal perspective, I thought it was interesting. And then, of course, Killian Murphy is one of my favorite actors. The Wind That Shakes the Barley is one of my favorite movies of all time. And his performance in that film is like, for me, the pinnacle of acting. And so like, I love Murphy as an actor. And so it ticked all the boxes upon the first viewing. And I've seen it a handful of times since. And I still I still love it. I, I am less enamored with it than maybe I was in my first viewing. But that's just because I think, you know, you get if you bang the same chick a thousand times, you kind of get tired, too.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, on that note, uh, Dave, what are your thoughts? And I'll, I guess the same thing. The question Ryan brought up first time last time. What do you think of the film and how is your perception or take on the film changed between your first time seeing it and your most recent viewing?
1: Uh, well, the thing about it is when I chose 28 Days Later, uh, I was thinking of 28 Dresses. I'm very sorry.
3: <laughs> uh. Oh, that
0: makes
1: sense.
2: Easy mistake. I get it.
1: That's a good Is movie. Is that the one Is where she's, one a, she's a she's a bridesmaid oh, 28
3: times? Is that the one? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's such a powerful film about uh, weddings that I just, I, I guess I confused it with the zombie movie. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll talk about the zombie movie. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. I'm not a horror fan. I'm actually a guy who mostly is bored by horror because it, it, to me, has always been one of the most repetitive uh, kinds of movie. Like, in comedy, if you repeat a joke, you should get destroyed, and you often are. In horror, it seems like a lot of movies just rearrange the same five things in different orders with different characters. So, 28 Days Later is, like, such a great movie because, one, it actually... It's where we get the fast zombie trope from. The only yeah. other fast zombie movie was like one much older, Return you know, of sh- Living Dead. Yeah, exactly. *Return of the Living Dead*. Schlockier movie, which I've seen those and I just I didn't really respond to them. Really, to be honest. Only 28 days later, I found really captured a kind of realistic vision of the zombie world. And I, I've, the problem with zombie movies is that it's often hard to believe. And they did it in a way that wasn't. It's not supernatural. It's just a disease that realistically made people, like, crazy, and they run, and that's how you can kind of believe how this could take over, a disease that takes people over. Because every time I watch a zombie movie, if they're moving slowly, you're always just thinking, Mm -hmm. how could the government be this incompetent to get taken? (laughs) I mean, it's essentially like being – it's like being overrun by retirees like who could not deal if you saw if there was a zombie outbreak in your town and you drove for an hour you just bought yourself a year
3: <laughs> yeah yeah that's why cuz zombie movies i always think look fun like i when i watch the movie zombie land even though they're kind of faster i'm kind of like oh dude that looks really chill you got this cool family of people that you're with and woody harrelson is funny and like i'm like i want to be in that world whereas you watch 28 days later and you're like i don't want to be in that fucking world i don't know if you've you ever know?
1: seen the movie uh, Abraham Lincoln Zombie Hunter. Oh, yeah. I, I want to be clear. I am not confusing that with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. There was another movie called Abraham Lincoln Zombie Hunter. Maybe I, I, maybe I'll oh, I'll I did not see him. that one. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah,
3: I'm confused too. Okay, never mind. <laughs>
1: not the movie in theaters, oh. a direct to Netflix original called Abraham Lincoln what? Zombie Hunter, where the director and writer of the movie also plays Abraham Lincoln and is about five foot six. Sick. Sick. amazing and that's oh, a movie where you have soldier where like you watch the, the inherent difficulty of trying to explain how it's possible because there are scenes where like groups of soldiers with rifles are somehow overtaken by three shuffling zombies
3: <laughs> uh, is this the same director that did like sense and sensibility and sea monsters and all of that no, shit no no
1: he's several degrees below that person <laughs> a schlock fest and this was someone trying to just rip that off for no budget and because when you watch these movies, even with fast zombies, you have to realize, like, how could they possibly get overrun by just, they're idiots. They're morons. They can't use guns. They can't communicate. They can't plan a goddamn thing. If, if it was really possible to overthrow a government with those people, with, with, like, zombies, then why haven't the chimps taken over Brazil? They're not as bloodthirsty. Because they're smarter than they're—I mean, they're—they're they're smarter than zombies. They're okay. stronger than them. There's yes. plenty of them there. Uh, they're like you know, it's like a rodent problem almost there. You know, <laughs> and you just can't help but like, like, and, and the reason is because you see one of the things that they don't understand about zombies is that we—we we don't have a gorilla or ape problem in the world because we have what's called door technology. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I this is a great take, I'm and I'm so excited right now, to yes. talk more about yours. <laughs> um, now, well, I want to pause here because I wanted I really want to dive into this. I'm loving just being a spectator of this conversation. Before we dive deeper, Ryan, what is your just like initial thought, takes first first viewing, most recent viewing analysis of Twenty Eight Days Later?
2: Well, unlike Dave, I'm a big horror fan, right? And I and I get off on the recyclable nature of it all, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, you're not making this is not the Godfather or anything. You're making like you're making event movies. You're making a fucking party that you know, and yeah, like uh, a, 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 it's a roller coaster ride. It's a visceral experience. So I uh I, I'm. I like counting the different kills, and even, oh, well, I've seen that kind of kill in this movie before, you know, whatever. I'm I I i, I I'm an aficionado on that kind of thing. However, I agree yeah. with you in the sense that zombies, to me, have absolutely played out. I'm a big f- film fan, but at the same time, I don't know if I could watch an, a, a new take on a zombie movie and actually give a shit, you know? Like, like almost every movie, I, uh, zombie movie I see is, like, kind of a meta take on zombies now, and I'm always just kind of like... I it's so hard for me to get invested because it's so we've done this we've so cliche and I and it is hilarious you know what it was 18 years ago 20 days later came out and you guys were talking about the fast zombie thing but that was such a uh, a novelty at the time right you know if you think about it it's like it's almost like it was so simple that no one ever ever thought about it like wait oh yeah zombies that run that's fucking terrifying especially if there's they're in a pack. You know, uh, uh, in that famous scene where they're running through the fucking field, and there's like a million of them. I mean, that is—you're y- in that guy's shoes. I will say, so when I first saw this movie, I was definitely blown away, and and I dug it. I remember liking it. Every time I've seen it since, I haven't really responded the same way because the visceral roller coaster is over i've seen the movie you know it's kind of like that that's the one bad part about horror is that they're awesome the first time you see it then once you've seen all the tricks it's kind of like all right very few horror movies can kind of withstand multiple viewings in my experience uh so or opinion but but yeah 28 days later pretty cool zombie movie I, it gives me this sense of dread, and I don't know if it's just because of the fucking coronavirus. And I'm
0: like,
3: wow, this is like—that's what I was going to ask. Very, yeah. Way more relevant than I remember the first time I saw it, you know. But uh, yeah. I, Ryan, do you think do you think that this is even a zombie film, or is this just a fucking yeah, pandemic it's a, it's a film? Like we should think film. about it more it's, on the lines of Contagion yeah. than than we should think, or like right. Outbreak. Then we should think about it in terms of like you know Night of the Living Dead or fucking what was that one with Nicholas Holt where like their hearts can come back? To the recent one. I can't remember with Teresa Uh, Palmer and it's that zombie film. I can't. Yeah, exactly. Fucking crank meets zombies. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, You know what I mean? That's the thing about zombie movies is that like they're not easy to do well. Right. I mean, Walking Mm -hmm. Dead basically gave up and just took the first five minutes of of 28 days later and said, "We, there's just no way to tell this story without the exact (laughs) same opening. Yeah a guy waking up from a coma and it's all like you just can't even tell the story without that. And you know the other problem I have with zombie movies is they often take the easy way out. They never want to explain anything. They never want to show what's really going on. They always just want to make it about one little group of people escaping. Uh-huh. And uh mm. 28 days and then weeks later didn't shy away from that. They told the real story of how this how this happened. And uh no it's 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 a hard thing to do right. I don't know if you saw um I want to say it, – was it called Black Summer, the Netflix series? It was a zombie movie – a zombie series that was on Netflix like last summer. And I it did. was like yeah. – it was terrible no. in the sense that like it just – it started out good and then you realized they were just cutting and pasting tropes that did – without mm. earning them. Like yeah. it was just like it, – it was like I can – like I should not – it should not be so obvious to me that you watch Walking Dead.
0: <laughs> right. How? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. One last point I would just make on on my thing yeah. is that, or the trope that I am sick of in zombie movies is, and basically what this whole movie's about is the 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 oh we're being attacked by this this you know uh, crazy supernatural uh, monster force, even though it's not supernatural in this movie. But the real monsters are the people, the other human beings yeah. that are our neighbors, you know. And that is, I feel like, in a lot of zombie movies, and it can kind of just go overboard with kind of, I don't know, melodrama.
3: Remind me, remind me on the other side of the of the uh, synopsis here, Ryan. Because yeah, there's that bit where they fucking look at the the animals in nature and they're like, oh, they're a family. It's like nature is good yeah. and humans are really the evil ones. And there's like this Frankenstein thing too. Like, let's not fuck with technology and shit. Yeah. So it let, let's let, let well, Burns is going to probably do. His well, yeah. How about this? Thing, I'll, I'll, I'll give my my, that,
0: yeah. my quick take on it. We'll do the synopsis and then we'll dive deep into this. Y'all are bringing up so many beautiful things. Although I can tell that Ryan has something he wants. I, I was right going to say anyway.
2: Dave had something to say. Okay,
0: so I was going to hear what he had to say about that. Oh yeah. Oh, I was going no, to, to say that right. I'm talking to Dave. I was going to say, it. okay, you know what? <laughs> Everyone shut up. I'm going right. to we'll, we'll get the summary <laughs> and then we'll get into it. I'll, I'll just quickly say uh, I can't do a first time most recent times. is the first time I've ever seen it. I uh, liked it. I'm someone who, who's not watched many horror films, has not watched many zombie films. I'm uh, an outsider to the genre. I really enjoyed it from a filmmaking perspective, especially, Austin, you mentioned this, that scene of an empty London with Killian Murphy walking around at first. Really, mm. really liked that. But I think my brain was really interested, and obviously I haven't seen the sequel. I want to see the sequel because it seems like that's going to answer the questions I was just thinking about the whole time. I wanted to know what the hell was happening outside of the area of England from London to Manchester, which I think is about like 100 miles or so. Um, I was wondering what's happening in the rest of the world. You're going to have to watch to 28 Dresses audience.
2: later for that, dude. Uh, hey, I can – there's
0: no, not enough Catherine Heigl movies for me in
3: this world, um, especially the one where there's the – Hey, I will say people talk shit about 28 Weeks Later, but I actually think that it is really well, good. Well, I saw it. So
0: – yeah, and I saw Notorious House Flipper, Jeremy Renner, was in it, so that made me want to watch it even more.
3: Okay. Oh, that's right, he is. And the whole thing
1: about 28 Weeks Later is that it, what's good about it is they don't take the easy way out. They actually mm. show the real government response and how yeah. the government in real, realistically would retake the world because they're idiots. Fighting <laughs> <laughs> morons. They can't even pull a trigger. will so- tell you they are at a distinct disadvantage.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna... I'm going to leave and watch that. You guys do this. I'm going to watch 28 Days Later. Now, um, so let's set the synopsis real quick and get into it. Um, and this is if you're listening to this and you either haven't seen the movie in a while or you're like me and you never saw it until recently, quick breakdown, 28 Days Later. Um, beginning of the movie, this is the sort of inciting incident of the whole thing. We got some hippies breaking into a primate research center, although they seem like kind of badass hippies because they're willing to do crime. We find out there are some apes that have a disease. What is the disease, you might ask? The creepy scientist says it's Ray. I did find that pretty funny. Um, (laughs) Rage-filled thing gets out. 28 days later, we got our guy Jim. So this dude wakes up um, inside of a hospital. London's empty, walks around, gets attacked by a priest. That was maybe a commentary on Catholicism and predation of priest i don't know um but that happens pretty soon our guy meets up with his little cell group of friends learn what's happened a pandemic has taken over the world people have been turned into as you all have well uh phrases before fast zombies um they get together guys got to see if his parents are dead they are we lose someone along the way but alas we see some christmas lights and the christmas lights lead us to our four part friend group um We get Frank and Hannah, father and daughter. The whole gang gets together. And because of a broadcast telling them to go to Manchester where the soldiers have the cure for the infection, it turns into a road trip movie for the middle third. I will say that I really enjoyed the road trip part of the movie. Um, We eventually uh, get to this fortified military base outside Manchester, which is a city on fire. And pretty soon we find out things are not as good as they seem. Because what is the cure to infection? It is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, rape. Um, and and using the the women who have survived to reproduce and rebuild that's society. That's the
2: survival technique. Yeah, keep going.
0: Yes, that's how we survive. Uh, our bud Jim does not like this. Um, so he, he rebels, gets threw out into the woods somehow. And we can talk about this with handcuffs on manages to escape and come back fighting. Eventually all of our, our mean soldier guys are killed off. Jim and the gals get back together. And by the end of the movie, which I thought was very lovely, we're in a lovely cottage. Um, Austin, I don't know where it looked like that was to you. Maybe the Lake District or something like that in England. Yeah,
3: totally. The Lake <laughs> District. Loved it. Uh, yeah. Our, our, yeah. our, 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 our. Made, it made my soul happy because I want to yeah, be Yeah, our
0: trio yeah. ends up in the Lake District. We find out that these zombies uh, have a limit on how long they can go without starving to death. They're starving in the streets. And I think it is, correct me if I'm wrong, a Finnish airplane is flying over. And our, fr- Is it Finnish? I think it's Finnish as, as an expert on Scandinavian dialects. Oh. Um, that's not true. <laughs> um, but at the very end... Our trios together. The women did not have sex forced upon them by the uh, Manchester soldiers. They have used the dresses they were dressed up in by these evil men to 27 create 27 of them. A 28. 27 dresses. Oh, see, it comes full circle. Yeah. Um, they put the dresses together to make a help sign in hopes that the Finnish Air Force, notorious Finnish Air Force, by the way, we can get into that, um, will rescue them. And it's a pretty clear setup for a sequel. You guys have seen the sequel. I have not. Um, But that's the movie. You've probably seen it though if you're listening to this because everyone on the planet had 18 years to watch it except me. Before we keep going, I want to take a second to give a shout out to today's sponsor, Skillshare. I don't know about you guys, but I've been spending a lot more time at home recently and it's starting to make me feel like I'm getting into a bit of a lethargic funk. But one of the things that's helped snap me out of this is focusing on my creative side and learning something new. And that's why Skillshare is so useful in times like these. It's an online learning community for creatives where millions of people are coming together to take the next step in their creative journeys. They offer tons of different classes from graphic design to photography to music production to fine art. I've been checking out filmmaking from home turn found footage into a compelling video taught by Penny Lane. It's been awesome to sort of take footage and things I've already have and turn them into cool videos using my phone and computer. Now, if you visit skillshare.com slash wisecrack today, you can get two free months of premium membership. So why waste another day rewatching a series you've already seen eight times when you could be learning something new and focusing on your creative side? So visit skillshare.com slash wisecrack today and start your free premium membership. Now, back to the show. So let's get into it. So much good stuff (laughs) came up in that discussion. Uh, How about Dave, do you wanna get us started? Is there any like particular point you wanna bring up? Any idea in the film? That you were excited to talk about, balls in your court. I
1: agree that it's done to death. The idea that the whole plot is always, oh, but the people are the real enemy. But this was also before that was a trope. Before yeah. that, it's like such a common thing that it's just too bad that everyone has only been able to tell a zombie story by by leaning on that and usually in a much less like serious and believable way. Uh, but I mean, what I like about it is also just that it, it uses the very simple idea that at their core, a zombie story is the opposite of a vampire movie. Vampires are about the fear of aristocrats, and zombie a- movies are about the aristocrats' fear of the proletariat. The
3: proletariat, baby! Yeah, there's a lot of good Marxist literature on zombie films. I mean, that's
1: what zombie movies are are referring to right. They're referring to like the rich people and their fear that the that the poor will rise up against them. And uh, no, I just but I think really it just it's a great movie because. It gets all these things right that we've seen so many times people can get wrong. Mm. And right it just it managed to tell that story in, in a in a, in a in a way that respected the material and not just tried to play it for, you know, gore.
0: Yeah, that point about class analysis is really good. Uh, Ryan or Austin, do you all see that theme as well? Is this something that, that you've seen in other movies of the genre that you think they do well here?
2: I, I certainly have... have... Uh, heard that, bef- that sort of line before, like like in terms of the the first movie though, I, I think back like on Night of the Living Dead, I mean, weren't those like basically two, I mean, were they rich people like in the townhouse, like in the middle of nowhere that were getting attacked? I, uh, because I mean, I, I'm just thinking like, if anyone would know George A. Romero, I mean, I, like what does he say? I haven't read enough interviews with him. Like does he have, uh, does he confirm that notion, I guess, or... or uh
3: I think the the argument is generally drawn along the lines of it's more about, like, um, the unconscious fear of controlling the order of capitalist society. Whereas vampires are, you know, Dracula is a fucking aristocrat. and well, it's su- uh, sucking blood at, like, from the working a, classes.
0: Like, literally feasting that's on right. uh, lower forms of life to keep that's the aristocracy right. flowing.
3: Yeah, Like Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, who's literally, like, infusing his blood from fucking yeah. other people so Real he can live thing. Look it up. and shit like that.
1: <laughs> just like werewolf movies are about the inherent fear of menstruation.
3: Okay, body. explain. Wow. Wait a second. Hold on. Unpack that. I, I I don't doubt it. I'm just curious. I need to see the logic here. What? Well, werewolf
1: movies are about this fear we have that when the moon is right, someone ah. is going to get someone is going to get much hairier and angrier in a way that doesn't make sense, and then everyone will pay the price. And then they'll turn back into a person. Dude, and Dave, you are
2: showing me the meaning so hard right now on "Show Me the Meaning." Yeah, <laughs> dude. Wow, so much
0: meaning has been shown <laughs> thus far, and we're only a 25 minutes. So, set. into
2: the zombie metaphor, like if the the pro if they're the proletariat, so they're the so they're supposed to be the idiots, and they're eating the brains of the rich, the smart people.
1: Is that a metaphor? I'm just coming up in my head. Well, very few zombie movies actually eat brains. That was Uh-oh. only – it's basically just one movie, right? Well, I that mean, Dawn of the,
2: the Dead, you know. I mean, well, I, I guess they're eating their guts and stuff too. I mean, its they're kind of just eating everything a lot of times. Lot it's of been
1: time. a while since they were specifically after brains. Well, then I i wonder if
0: – so if we're looking at the, the zombies as the proletariat class engaged in an act of self-liberation, then I wonder if we can look at the opening of this film pointing out what happens when – well-educated Cambridge kids try to do the work of liberation for the proletariat by breaking in there and how these uh these these PETA activists who think they're doing something good end up making things way worse
1: well there is a story there about uh don't assume that well-intentioned extremely excited white kids know what they're talking about
3: yes (laughs) amen brother Yeah. (laughs) yeah I love that we get that within the first half. Well, five I, so I, I think that means that I need to shut up then for the rest of oh, the Oh, no, no, episode. go is for it. The point? No. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you us
2: Austin? Awesome? Yeah. No, I
3: do lo- I do love that angle though because there's clearly some sort of like um critique of what like animal anarchist uh, liberation types, right? Um
1: To be fair also, it's they weren't the ones who created a virus and gave it yeah. to him. Right. They're just the ones yeah, yeah. Who are dumb enough to free Wait, him.
3: Which right, which is which is like you just said they're well intentioned but the the ultimate critique is is there's kind of like a frankenstein critique right like human beings fucking with nature kind of modifying things and then what happens through you know complexity theory or chaos like things happen and then it spreads and it gets wild but then there is that interesting thing then so is there not just the like Humanity is the problem all along But is there also kind of the flip side of that Which is a sort of uh, maybe A fetishization or a romanticization Of nature that nature has this Purity in itself and we just need to Emulate it so I'm thinking of those horses Again that scene that I mentioned before I think there's four of them perfectly because there are four Humans that are on this road trip and it's Almost like they need to just map onto the real natural uh, Harmony that they Perceive in nature and they can Potentially fabricate that or mimic that if they just kind of get their shit right right like the four of them can figure it out and you think maybe maybe they can do it and then of course a shitty circumstance um because of a human blood drop that gets into Brennan eye and it kind of disrupts it which is
1: also very prescient now because of how the level of care you have to take to not get infected with something and how uh and how the precautions that people are expected to make that some people just don't want to make uh that, yeah, that's that's something that you know comes up. You'll notice that more now, the idea of just avoiding this. I mean, it, it also begs the question of why whenever you watch zombie movies, you're like, number one, why don't you just go where it's cold? Yeah, And two, like because aside from that, like how about you know, stop walking around with your in a t-shirt. Like oh yeah like all you would have to do is put on a jean jacket and you're fucking invincible. And no one thinks to do that. No one thinks to just do like they're idiots. They don't know how to deal with anything. Those fuckers you can bite through
2: a jean jacket, though. I mean, they're fucking. Well, well, okay.
0: What about motorcyclists?
1: <laughs> Take your jeans and bite through them. I don't
2: have the rage in me. I don't have the rage that these zombies have. They're, they'll they'll just keep going.
0: <laughs> okay but uh, let's let's substitute Ryan jeans for a leather jacket a harley crew you got gloves leather helmet motorcycle where you can weave through all the cars i agree i'm gonna fucking have the hell's angels seat. were
3: fine yeah they're fine with this shit bring it on uh yeah they're the ones that control the resources in the post-apocalyptic world that's why mad max is like needs to be tied into this as well right it's fucking motorcycle gangs that become yeah. Yeah. The i'm getting
0: Here's a question for you all as well. Is there something to be said for – and we don't see this in the film, but there's commentary about it. The way in which they basically say, like, you know, the news talked about it. At first, it wasn't that bad. Then the news went dark. Is that a commentary on the way in which we don't have the imagination or the ability to properly conceive of and deal with, like, a pandemic? Because it's hard to hear the way they talk about the emergence and the attempted containment of this and not think about how, like – countries like America and the United Kingdom have currently done with the pandemic that's happening.
1: I think it's really about just the general fear we have of the system breaking down mm-hmm. of the idea that like we have so much reliance on this system we've created and that a monkey wrench could just screw it all up and then yeah. suddenly and then when when the news isn't talking about any, can't talk about something anymore and things just go dark then you're just like oh this is a world that we've never even imagined could happen and how terrifying that is to just be really on your own.
2: Yeah, and, and to piggyback off that, it's like that plus how quickly it can go down because I mean it's in the fucking title, 28 days later. It's like everything was normal and then 28 days later the the, the Murphy White wakes up to the, to that, you know, to everything's gone and it's just kind of like even this corona thing has really made me think about that like, you know, I was thinking about like yeah, 2 months ago would we ever have fucking thought that you know the the the, ne- the next two months would have happened how they happened i don't think we would have you know i i was i was kind of freaking out earlier than a lot of my friends i'm like getting you know supplies snacks toilet paper and all this shit And everyone's telling me i'm fucking the weirdo and yeah 28 days later uh, they're all doing the same
3: shit so there's a cool there's a cool formal element at the beginning of the film that kind of relates to this and i think it juxtaposes like silence And maybe we could say, like, government or media ineptitude, but then also with this really jarring, chaotic soundtrack, right? And it's when Killian Murphy is first going through the streets. And one, I could only think, like, I've been in London. I lived outside of London. I was in London a lot. It's noisy and it's busy all the time, right? And so you get this dude who's, what is he, he's a bicycle, like, delivery guy or something? Courier. Yeah. So, so he's used to being on those streets. He's used to being in the noise and the traffic and the chaos and the life, if you will, the vitality. And then all of a sudden it's just dead. And like the silence is basically deafening. And then the kind of irony of that is that the soundtrack is like pumped up beyond a 10. It's like 11 or a 12, you know? And it's this like screeching guitar track, like, um, that is really kind of upsetting almost like like aesthetically upsetting and i thought that was kind of a really interesting way to frame the discomfort and the anxiety that he's waking up to
1: yeah the soundtrack is really good because it it just mimics the panic Mm. that people would be feeling in that situation
3: which is interesting like the the panic of silence is jarring right and and i think that's what's kind of that weird tension that you get at that uh, in in those opening in those opening scenes that I really love because it it basically it makes me feel upset. That's the thing that kind of like got me more in this viewing than any of the other stuff about like fast zombies. Like that was all like early stuff. But the fact that it was just so formally interesting with what they were doing that I was like, oh yeah, that's the shit that I that I found.
1: Yeah, and so many of the zombie movies are also just shot like TV. They're just shot so. Totally crappy that you know you for something like this you need that level of cinematography you need to be immersed in it you know it's just there's when you watch a zombie movie like and it just everything's well lit and everything like it it looks like a, a a sitcom it just doesn't work
3: Yeah, I did—I mean, I don't know. uh, Ryan, you might know better, I think. I can't remember the name. Dave, you might know. Mike, you might know. Uh, But the cinematographer's name was, like, Mantle or something. But he's been the cinematographer for um, Thomas Vinterberg, Lars von Trier. He's done a couple of other Danny Boyle's films. Um, He's, like, a fucking accomplished cinematographer. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's why— This, like, kind of lowery budget film kind of has that grainy look to it. But then there are these really cool cuts. And then, like I mentioned, that bit where they're driving through the poppy fields or whatever it is. And there's, like, that surreal veneer that's over them. So there's some really interesting cinematic stuff that is also, like, technically that could probably be attributable to the cinematographer, too, that I thought was interesting. Yeah,
0: I think technically just a really impressive film all around. Because along with that, like, this came up before, the sound design was great. I, I watched the movie listening to it in headphones uh, and it was like an anxiety-inducing soundtrack. There's random like voices and sounds uh, that are kind of in the in the back of your headphones if you're listening to it that way that keep you worried that something fucked up is about to happen at any point, which I found unsettling but made it a really engaging
3: experience. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask, Dave? I mean, I mean, it's obvious, but if we could just kind of talk about it, like, what what made you want to do this film? You know. Is this, have you been thinking about this film? Or, like, have you been watched did you watch, like, Contagion recently? Like, is it the Corona inspired stuff? Like, what was up? Yeah.
1: That big into the genre. I mostly only like horror movies when there's something else about them that makes them so good, like, if it's a comedy or something, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that zombies are at least a more satisfying version of a horror movie for me. And it just, it just rung as, like, a movie that managed to do right what so many couldn't. And it just, it just and it also seemed like you know, I wanted to list movies that weren't just comedies and weren't superhero movies, which is essentially the only thing I
3: watch. <laughs> <laughs> so do you like do you like the comedy zombie movies like Zombieland and like uh... and Shaun of the Dead are both really really yeah. Good. yeah yeah. Did you see one Cut of the Dead yet? Okay, highly recommend that one if you're into
2: comedy zombie movies.
3: Is that the one that's the Japanese film? Um. Uh,
2: to be, I, I, this sucks, but I don't know the fucking country. But uh, uh, it's an yeah, it's
3: definitely it's not American. It's about them like making a zombie movie, but then a real zombie apocalypse yeah, breaks exactly out. That's exactly what happens. It's huh. yeah. My buddy well, just told yeah, me about, about this. It's supposed to be movie. fucking yeah, amazing. It's,
2: it's awesome if you're into that genre.
3: Yeah, and the directors basically like just fucking go with it or whatever, and they all start like like yeah, a that's real one zombie of the best apocalypse. It's about making movies film.
2: too. If you're into that subgenre, that's too.
3: what that's that's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool.
1: Yeah. I also love Army of Darkness. Oh,
2: fuck yeah. That's top five for me, dude.
1: Which is a comedy zombie movie.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Glad you brought that up.
1: That's more what got me into this sort of genre, anyway. And uh, But also, the thing about zombie movies that are more, it's just so much more fun than horror movies, is the offensive nature of it. So many, almost every horror movie I've ever seen is just about, in a way, it's just victim porn. It's um. just about. Yeah. Putting yourself in the enjoy. shoes of someone who's running from something. Which is fine if that's what you enjoy. But with right. zombie movies there's way more offense involved. There's a sense right. of there's a sense of competition. It's like it's more it's like watching a fight.
3: Mm. Maybe that's why, like, when I watch a zombie film, like Zombie Land, for example, I, like, want to be in it, you know? Like, like, I think we talked about it on this podcast, the scene where they go to, like, the American Indian store and they start, like, just fucking shit up because it's just total freedom. It reminds me of the bit when in 28 Days Later, which clearly zombie land is retreading a lot of the same terrain but in 28 days later where they go to the grocery store and it's just like there's this fucking freedom to get whatever you want and brendan gleason goes to killian murphy at one point who's going to buy booze and he's like no 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 come on you got to get the good shit right and there's like this this weird like ability to court uh to like seduce our investment into wanting to be in the world whereas when i watch uh, other horror films you don't want to be in the world like you just said it is victim porn it is a type of maybe a catharsis which is probably why cabin in the woods was such an interesting film because it kind of like directly attacks the audience's love and fetishization of horror films but like zombie films like really are seductive yeah because
1: they enter into a fantasy that pretty much everyone has of a lawless world where you have where there's no moral responsibility to what you're doing that nothing you're doing is wrong because they're not people anymore but it's still this it still exploits the kind of natural aggressive instinct you have to fight that was just part of evolution
3: I do have one thing to say and Michael you're going to appreciate this because it's actually a mutual friend of ours a mutual friend of ours told me this and I'm just going to say his initials but JVH told me this one time uh, he said, "The funny thing is, is we have all of these examples of apocalyptic films, and it always goes back to like you just said, a state of lawlessness. It's like this Hobbesian state of nature, right? That li- life is just competitive and brutal. And you just look at most of them. That's the post-apocalyptic world, even from novels like The Road, you know, to Walking Dead, to all of the uh, all of like the Mad Maxes and shit like that. And he said, actually, though, but we do have an historical example." of a post-apocalyptic world. He said, and it's Japan. Like, Japan had two nuclear bombs dropped on it, and Japan is not some lawless world, but actually it's like this crazy technocratic bureaucratic world where you work like 16 hours a day everyone's into hentai porn uh you kind of sleep in these tiny little pods and shit like that he's like the post-apocalyptic world isn't some Hobbesian state of nature it's actually like this crazy technocratic bureaucratic neo-feudal society and i was like that's kind of interesting well the
1: thing about that when you bring up about japan and japanese culture that's so interesting is that it The reason Japanese culture is, in many ways, people would describe as very unique, is because it was created almost from whole cloth after World War II, because they had to abandon what was the crux of their society, which was domination. You know, they were so, for so many years, Japan was so imperialist and so uh, unimaginably cruel in in how they did so that they had to reinvent themselves entirely. And so it makes sense that things would be so weird, you know, to an outsider, because this is all, you know, all of this that we think of as Japanese culture, so much of it, it had to kind of be improvised in a fairly short amount of time because, you know, yeah, they got a, they got nuclear bombed over after decades of brutalizing all of Asia. So, I mean, it's it's so hard to look at Japan now. And, you know, I know, you know, I've, I've dated a girl from Japan. I, you know, I know her whole family and it's like, they're just such nice people. And it's like, it's, it's hard to even ima- imagine like, yeah, a few generations ago, y- you were the, you were, you were the most uh, ambitious conquerors in the 20th century. Mm.
2: So I want it. so m- maybe when they make the third sequel, 28 years later, it'll just be Japan because it's just like, <laughs> this is what well, happens just- after 28 years of this shit.
0: But even in, like, you know, the movie we're talking about, it's interesting that this is England, a culture that also, like, Evan, you know, Austin's lives in England. I lived in England for a while. Uh, I guess I'll I'll offend some people, but, like, come find me, I guess, if you want to travel during this, you idiots. But, like, this is a country that dominated the entire world for generations and generations, and you're in England now, and I don't see a lot of that. You know, you don't meet a modern English person and think, wow, I can see how your ancestors took over the entire globe. So there is that sense, too, that, you know, Britain (laughs) is a fallen empire, a place that used to have that sort of colonial domination over the world. So it's kind of it's fun to see him fall in that way. And it's fun to consider, you know, England
3: against that backdrop. Are you saying that they've lost their acquisitive spirit? Is that what you're saying, Michael? Yeah. Dave, what do you think?
1: (laughs) I don't see British culture as nearly as divorced from its past as Japan's, though.
0: Yeah, I think they're delusional about their past. I think England has this weird, they hold on to it to make them feel better. I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, But they they hold on to it to make them feel better about the lack of what has been going on since the end of World War II. So I think, yeah, you're right in that sense. They do embrace it.
1: Because England's loss of an empire was not a result of their imperialism. Mm -hmm. It was coincidental. It was about, it was about someone else doing an evil act. So it's like after all these generations of all the things that England did, they ended up losing their power in a way that made them look good as opposed (laughs) to a rebellion. Because don't forget, during World War II and even before World War II, Japan had an opportunity to, their plan was to get all of Asia to rise up against British imperialism, and the only reason they didn't get to do that was because they invaded these other countries in Asia and treated them worse than the British had, which was just a terrible, terrible miscalculation and about lack of control of the troops they had. So that ended up making it—if that if they had not done that, they could have easily— organized all of Asia to rise up against England have been much more powerful
0: yeah and I think just for anyone listening a reminder this is Normandy the meaning Wisecrack's new World War II history <laughs> podcast where we dive deep into the <laughs> structures and relationships of countries in World War II no, that's, no, that's super interesting I think you're spot on with England there and yeah and England of course got to do that thing where they like gave back countries that they colonized and got credit for being the good guys and doing that which is like that's really impressive if you can do it like if you could steal something from someone and then return it and they they hug you yeah
3: cover of the Axis. So good. Um Yeah, well that's what it, to tie this to tie this back into like the post apocalyptic thing, the interesting thing is this film kind of puts you in the scenario of what would the UK be like if it did experience an, uh, an apocalyptic tragedy or event, right? And, again, they fall into that, which is, again, very English because Hobbes was fucking English and kind of the liberal ethos of ideology dominates the Western world. What would the world look like? Oh, it would just be back to, like, liberal individualism where everyone's trying to scramble together to create some semblance of community that was just like it was. And we actually have a writer at Wisecrack, Leo, who's talked about this, that there's, like, a failure of the Western imagination, To actually conceive of a post-apocalyptic world that isn't some nostalgic clamoring back for the way things were. So, like, I've been playing this game called Death Stranding a little bit. And one of the things that's interesting about this game is that the whole underlying designing principle is to, like, get the United States back right? It's like the United States has been fragmented and uh, the world is destroyed and there are these cities but like you're part of this revolution, which is not really a revolution because it's a nostalgic reactionary mentality, to try to get back to the way things were and so much of apocalyptic film kind of fits within that ethos that it's like, well if we can just get back to the way things were, let's restore balance, let's restore the capitalist liberal uh, democratic ethos and that's what's kind of an underlying ideology that might kind of speak to what somebody like mark fisher calls capitalist realism that you can't even imagine an alternative or like someone like zizek following frederick jameson says you know it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism right there's always that desire to go back to the way things were just before the apocalypse rather than some genuine novel creation of something different yeah
1: because capitalism doesn't need to be implemented It will occur in the absence of other systems. So that's why it's so much harder to kind of think of a story where all these disconnected people could find an alternative to it. And that's what happened in China. They weren't capitalists, and it just kind of happened because it's sort of the natural order of how people interact and competition.
0: We like
2: freedom, baby.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, kind of along (laughs) these lines then, do you think the film – is trying to say something or to ask y'all what the film is trying to say by the two uh, different responses we see from the two crews we get in this movie. Uh, we have the ex-army dudes and we have our crew of survivors, very different approaches to uh, surviving this pandemic, different ideas to how they can like create solutions to it. Is, is there some meaning there? Is, is Boyle trying to say something, tell us something, warn us of something in that? Well, and- or is
3: it just that dudes want to do army cosplay? Are you trying to get us into like an abolish the police, defund the police conversation, Michael? Is that what How you're trying it? to bring up I'm, right now? Um,
0: I'm not. Well, for
3: what I wouldn't say,
2: uh, Danny Boyle, <laughs> so much, but uh, we uh, we haven't said his name yet on the podcast. But Alex Garland, awesome filmmaker, wrote this script. I think is one of his first ones. He's the guy behind right. like uh, X Machina and um, Never Look Back, the Mark Romanek movie, uh, and a few others. And he, uh, uh, Devs, if you've watched that on Netflix or anything.
3: But uh, he, uh, And Annihilation. Oh, yeah. Right? I forgot about
2: that one. That's a great one. Um, but, yeah, here's a quote from him about this film that may, maybe if you, you want to get jump-started uh, on your answers. Uh, Alex Garland says this about 28 days later. He says, if you look at the whole life of the planet uh, and man, uh, man has only been around for a few blinks of the eye in terms of the life of the planet. So if the infection wipes us out, that's a return to normal uh, normalcy, kind of like how you were saying, like, are they yearning to go back to life? Or it's just the planet." yearning to go back to life? Uh, or is Alex mm. Garland trying to t- say he wishes that we all went back to, to, to the natural order of things? Anyway, what do you all think about that?
3: That's that's really interesting. So there's a, a philosopher by the name of Ray Brassier, who is sometimes considered like a, I don't know, like a cosmic nihilist or something like that. But one of the things that he talks about is that we need to think about the world from the perspective of like heat death, that that it's that it's absolutely coming. Right. That that the, the whole world, the whole universe is just going to disperse into fucking just dark matter kind of Not doing its thing. And it, so we need yeah. to think about that cold reality. But yeah. And so there's something interesting maybe in what what Garland is saying there, too, that like the quote unquote natural is that maybe like we are the the, the virus. It's kind of like that. We are the virus logic that you heard a lot of that, that meme came out that when it's
2: been around for three months now.
3: Yeah, yeah, which is interesting, but I we weir- I worry that it teeters into something that's called ecofascism, right? There is a political ideology that comes out of this that is I think a little bit worrying, and I think it also is fundamentally rooted in a a philosophical incoherence of kind of like a, a what's called the naturalist fallacy um a lot of times as well. But I'm not saying there's nothing interesting in that. I just think that ultimately that if we take it ethically and politically as some sort of idea that we ought to uphold, that you can there, there are some potential pitfalls, so
1: I think the story is a very simple one, really, about the inherent uh, the inherent evil of man, and and about how that evil is relative.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah and that, you totally. know, your your enemies are only your enemies while they're your enemies, and that, and, and that you know that, and it's also the idea that like, man is evil even in the face of like this seemingly ultimate evil of this disease, but even then sometimes man is so evil you must use this disease against him and it sort of yeah it sort of implies just the way that killiam has to become a zombie Mm -hmm. to sit to do what's Mm. right he must act like a zombie to do what's right it as a metaphor for the idea that this virus itself may be evil to us but not evil to everyone who's not a person
2: Yeah, it's like it's like uh, it's the definition uh, also between survival too, everyone has a different difference on like what it takes to survive. And then some people are like, well, that's evil. It's like, no, that's me surviving. What do you want me to fucking do? It's like the road. You know, it's like we're either going to eat these people or we're all dying. What do you want me to do? You know, so.
3: Yeah. What do you what do you think the conclusion of this film is like? Are, are we left with a kind of happy no. ending? I mean, obviously, we know that there's a sequel 20, 28 weeks later. But there's no cure to the disease. But is there a sense in which that, like, okay, there's chaos, there's death, there's pandemic, there's disease, there's rage, all this shit. But if you just have your family, your people that – like, is that kind of this like, what's, what's the conclusion? Like, there's this romantic relationship, too, which yeah. we haven't talked about at all. Like – it, it, I mean, it's it struck me think? that
0: that's kind of the case because all the army dudes were willing to turn on each other, shoot each other down, treat each other like shit. We see how it turns out for them. And then our trio of survivors has a sort of familial dynamic. We have a little romance story. We have a sort of uh, adopting... Uh, Hannah after her father dies and treating her and taking care of her in that way. And then, of course, we see them in their country cottage together living this sort of, like, familial oh, real life. The bourgeois yeah, fantasy. So I, mean, I mean, at least, once again, I've seen it once. Y'all have seen it probably uh, 20 times between the three of you. But that's
3: that was my read on the the ending message of things, or at least the, the Hollywood gloss on that. Another friend of ours, and I'll just do the initials again, uh, APS once told me we were sitting at a bar in England, and he was talking about... Um, how uh the kind of bourgeois middle-class fantasy is to go out into the countryside and just have your kind of little home and to escape into nature and that if you can escape into nature that that's salvation away from the city because that's where degradation occurs that's where all the violence occurs but if you can get out into the lake district yeah. and have your nuclear well, that's family like, then that's then the that's social media account is. of
0: every uh well-to-do new yorker for the past three months who's just like posting front-facing <laughs> videos from their cottage upstate or whatever and it's like oh fuck you guys well, yeah, um, I don't What do y'all think about the, the ending of the film and what the message is or if there is
1: a message at all? Well, originally he was supposed to die. Oh, well, because aren't there
0: a bunch of alternate endings to this?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's alternate oh. endings. And there's, there's one ending uh, that they storyboarded. I'm trying to remember what that was just about curing the disease. It doesn't even have soldiers mm. in it, which is kind of nuts. Uh, okay. But yeah, I mean, they just, it was originally going to be a sadder ending where he dies, and you know, every filmmaker wants to hurt the audience, and the audience is usually just like, we don't have to feel bad to enjoy this.
3: I wonder if that was the studio, right? Danny Boyle is British, and British filmmakers love the pessimistic ending, especially if you're more kind of like indie like Danny Boyle is, but then the studio comes along and they're like, no, nah, we need to feed people a happy pill. So, <laughs> Well, it's, it's also, I think, about survival.
1: It's about the idea that things you can... Persevere, and that humanity can still be around if we get rid of the the problems, and that you know that there is still there is room to get better, is I think part of the storyline. That glimmer okay. of hope. Yeah, but I mean, at at the same time, you know, it's also like he lived because of probably. Uh, test audiences because they just wanted a, right, a, a right. better movie, which is okay, yeah. it, you know, especially because, you know, not every filmmaker knows exactly where things should go. I, like I said, I think there's an unnatural sense of wanting to hurt people's feelings when you make a movie to be <laughs> powerful. And it's easier to to affect someone when you use death or, you know, uh, pain. Wow.
0: Uh, well, let's do let's do final thoughts on this then before we wrap up uh, before we, we we do a little discussion and a little plug session at the end. Uh, any final thoughts on this movie? Reasons you think people should watch it if they haven't watch it again if they didn't like it the first time around? Ideas that we didn't get to during this discussion. The floor is yours, Austin. You look content.
2: All, all I would say is that it's probably my mid-level Danny Boyle. I'm a big Danny Boyle guy, and I think that he's made several trains. What's your favorite?
0: Sure,
3: still. But, uh, uh, okay. Did you like T2? T2? Yeah, the sequel that just a, came out.
2: Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of Terminator uh, yeah, t My brain that. went to the original <laughs> T2. Uh, not really, honestly. It's okay. Okay. But,
0: yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dave, final uh, 28 Days Later thoughts if you
1: got them. It's a good movie. I think if you like other zombie things, you should know where a lot of those uh, ideas really came from.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great, um, and this is fun, and I'm glad that I watched it, a movie that I probably wouldn't have watched on my own. Um, so this is the time where we you know, want to wrap things up and plug some stuff, but I think someone has a, a thing that's more important to plug than anything Ryan, Austin, or myself have. Uh, Dave, you are here because, well, because we're excited to have you and wanted to talk about this movie, also because you are one of the writers of a movie that's coming out, correct me if I'm wrong, June 12th, uh, King of Staten Island, a film that you worked on with Judd Apatow and Pete Davidson. Um and you seem very excited to talk about it.
1: Uh, well, no, I mean, the honest truth was that, like, I, I have these interviews that, you know, I'm happy to do and, you know, it's part of my job and I, I really yeah. enjoy doing it. But at the same time, like, I have really not wanted to go around advertising a movie yeah. right now because, frankly, there's more important things going on. And, like, I, mm. I don't even like the idea of trying to, like, say that you should be thinking about this movie. And yeah. it, 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 I hope entertains people. and hope they like it. But, you know, we never intended that it would come out in the middle of worldwide protest against police yeah. racism. So, yeah. you know, that's what people should be concentrating on. You know, if you want to watch a movie, I hope you like it. But, you know, it's, it really is one of those things where it's just like, I know how important this movie is, which is not, you know, which is, <laughs> it's not the, the important thing for anyone to be worried about right now. So yeah. it's like, was,
3: I, was there any, was there any talk about delaying it, or was it too far down the road to to try to delay it? Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I, not that I know of. I don't. I don't believe that there was any real option once those things are kind of in motion. My understanding yeah. was there really wasn't much you could do, um, because it was already moved. And you know, it's it's such a big company, and there's so much to so many moving parts that I don't really know what would what how that could be possible. What would be possible? But uh, you know, it's. But it was also a thing of like you know it it's not like we're trying to compete we're not trying to say that like you should care about this instead of something we're just saying it's out and it'll still be there you know When when everything settles down and hopefully there's progress that comes out of out of the protests and hopefully that there's Mm -hmm. real change that comes out of it uh you know the movie is just there to help anyone relax when you know when they're done dealing with the more important issues of the day
0: I think that's really important, though, and I think uh, I, I think it's important that during this time there's so much heaviness in the world, and I know many people are so uh, passionate and active with everything that's happening, but even the most passionate and active person does have to sit on their couch every now and then uh, and, and turn their brain off from everything that's <laughs> happening and get lost in, in films, televisions, and literature, so I think people, you know, if, if you need that, this is a movie that you can watch, uh, and I know personally, as a fan of, of Apatow films in general, it's fun to see, I, I guess... Uh, the Judd Apatow style film with a very different context, very different lead in that sort of thing, out of the like suburban Hollywood world, uh, with like Paul Rudd hanging out and stuff like that. So, uh,
1: definitely, like like Dave says, yeah, it's a, movie, yeah. Yeah, it's a different movie than Judd's ever done. It's, it's, yeah. I think he, you know, we, we it's, it's, a, it's, I think it's an ambitious kind of, uh, non traditional comedy. And, you know, I hope that people who see it like it. You know, if, it, if it's a choice between buying my movie or donating to Campaign Zero, you should donate. But <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, if, if you want to watch the movie, uh, you know, I will be very happy if you like it.
2: I totally feel you, man. And I, 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 I watched it actually a couple of days ago when we were originally going this podcast. So I'm somebody who saw it and liked it. And I, uh, the, the one thing I wanted to say is that the, one, the part that really hit home for me was the monologue about bed bugs. As a bed bug survivor, I uh, I appreciated that being in there.
1: Mike Vecchione would be very happy to hear that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Too much, but he got to do his bed bugs line. That's his bread and butter line. Oh,
2: okay. So that wasn't even in the script?
1: No, no, it was. I'm just saying. Oh, oh, oh,
2: oh, you mean his his performance of it?
1: It's like the only good thing Mike got to do. It's like the <laughs> one – it's the one like really – because Mike's a really funny comic and that was like kind of the one moment where like we let him – really have fun and be like Becky Owen and really be funny. And I was happy that we got there. Cause we we hired a lot of comedians and we know we wanted to, you know, make sure that people were were, were hooked up, you know, like that, you know, we they gave a lot of people their first time on camera. And I think when people see the movie, uh, there are a lot of people who you've never seen probably before uh, in a movie that, you know, you'll, you'll see like a real, have a real star quality, like Ricky Velez, Moises uh, and uh, uh, Derek Gaines. Remember, you know, Derek was zoots. Uh, who is so goddamn funny? You might know Derek from uh, from Last OG. He is one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. He's the guy. He's the guy with the Hulk hands.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, hell yeah! At the at the Fight Club. Mm-hmm. I, I got a question. I got like a for for a West Coast boy like myself. Grew up in L.A. and Orange County. I don't really understand why people shit on Staten Island so much. Like, I kind of get it, right? Like, I, I can I can get it abstractly. And I've heard some of like Pete's stand up before, where he's like being self deprecating. But what? Like, you're from Jersey, and I know Jersey and Staten Island are oftentimes shit on by like Brooklyn Manhattanites. So, like, can you just briefly like, what's the deal? Why do people shit on Staten you Island? You just so
1: explained much? it because it's a lot more like Jersey than Brooklyn, but it's okay. but it's still but it's still New York City. Because Staten Island okay. is New York City. It's the only place in New York where you can have a lawn. But, uh, it, but it is, <laughs> people think of it as much more of a suburban kind of place. It's, you know, it's the whitest part of, of of New York City. It's the reddest part in terms of voting. So I think that, you know, it's the least metropolitan borough, I think, is what is where people shit on it. And it's like, it's a very nice place and, per- and great food and great people. But it's got that, it gets the same shit Jersey does. And don't forget... The Jersey Shore, which we all loved making fun of. Oh, yeah. majority of those people were from Staten Island, not New Jersey. They, Oh, drove. shit. That's their vacation place. Beaches are better. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. The Jersey Shore, too, is great. It's not, I, it's I, not a I perf- saw the show, and then I lived in Maryland for a bit and spent some time on the Jersey Shore. And I, I was, the TV warped my mind. It's pleasant as all hell. Great people. Good food. Nice beaches. Sorry to, like, let the cat out of the bag there. But, yeah.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say too. I I kind of got this analogy analogy between Staten Island bros and like Simi Valley bros, or like Orange County bros, like Huntington Beach bros. Like, there's there's kind of yeah, there's kind of a an analogous relation. Yeah. I lived in L. A. for many
1: many years. I know that you know we it there's the same kind of people everywhere in in Staten mm. Island they're Italian in L. A. They're Armenian. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Everyone, you know that that in terms of people who get made fun of unfairly, I meant. John.
3: Hey, man, I fucking love Glendale. Okay, don't talk shit. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, to,
2: to, to to also uh, make a comment about your comment on the movie, I love. I just love in general movies that really embrace non professional actors you know bring in new uh, obviously you could tell that some of these people were pete's buddies or just people that you guys knew in general like you said you brought on a bunch of comics like the the, the guy uh, the the tattoo artist that he goes into and the, the guy who's tattooing the big hulking dude i mean uh, uh, kelly? oh yeah is that machine going kelly see i don't even know I, i'm not familiar with with uh with <laughs> Actually I, the nazi got yeah exactly that's the guy okay I drew all those tattoos. Did you really?
1: Whoa. <laughs> that <laughs> okay. was my other job on the movie. Well, see, he, awesome. he
2: probably hasn't acted that much, obviously, right? He's more into music, I assume, right? So, she right. It,
1: Kelly. He's been doing a few things now. He was in Bird
0: Box. Uh, okay. Okay.
2: Well, I don't know what I'm talking he about play, with him. He
0: plays a uh, Tommy Lee in the Motley Crue film, I think on Netflix. Nice.
2: Okay, so he's got some credits. Well, I'll, I'll, but but there are some other people that are non actors, right, in the film, or at least it seemed that way. Kind of got like kind of like an uncut the Safdie brothers or something. How how they'll cast just people they meet on the streets. It seemed like you guys kind of had that vibe a little bit with Pete's life.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, most of them were actors, but there was a lot, we wanted to use, you know, comics, you know, we wanted to load yeah, it up man. with comics, like a lot of the, in a lot of the people who are, you know, some of our favorite, you know, comedians, we wanted to just really kind of give those opportunities and just let funny people be funny, you know, like, yeah. uh, like uh, Aunt Joy, uh, Lynn plays uh, and she plays Marissa Tomei's oh, sister. Oh
2: yeah, okay. Yeah. She's
1: a brilliant uh, comedian. What, you know, one of the biggest female comedians from before female comics really got a decent shake. Mm-hmm. Uh Uh, she was one of the first ones to have like a real special. And like in the early two thousands before there was a real boom and there was a lot of attention being paid. Uh, There's, you you'll and like, there's a lot of people like that that you'll just see a lot of comedians, a lot of, you know, Keith Robinson is so good as the security guard. There's just a lot. There's a, if you're a New York comedy fan, there's, you're, you're constantly being reminded of people that are really funny in the movie. And it was just so good. Yeah.
0: Bill Burr low key, kind of a good actor. Um, yeah, for real. Yeah, like he's intense. Great, yeah, fucking great. Great. He, he's fucking
3: great. Yeah. He's fucking great. Yeah, well, he is fucking great. And I'll be honest too like I just the last thing I'll say is I was actually really impressed with Pete Davidson as an actor. Um obviously he's He's got, like, this kind of charming charisma that's, like, I talked about his self-deprecation earlier that kind of almost makes him uh, attractive to, like, want to attune ourselves to. But there's, a, there's like, a humility but also a kind of bro about him, and I think that's what's so interesting. It's like, he's, it's like he's perpetually on the cusp of enlightenment. Like, you never know if he's going to say something just totally basic or say something that's, like, oh, that's fucking really cool, man. So I, I love that about him. He's constantly, like, walking that fine line. And I think his character in this film was really interesting because of that. And I was really impressed with the way he pulled it off. Which I was no, I'm glad not to hear that.
1: Uh, you know, I think so, I forgot who it was, but he's someone described him as he's he's a great non actor in the yeah. idea that like he's kind of unconscious up there, he is just yeah. in the moment, he is completely yeah, yeah. in the moment, and that's why he's able to pull this off, you know. And it's yeah. like, he and yeah, it was really great to see him acting, and it's really exciting because as time goes on, we're going to see him out of his comfort zone more. Uh,
0: There'll be some good stuff coming out. So that's awesome to hear. (laughs) Um, And Dave, thank you so much for letting us, like talk to you about the film. Uh, We heard what you said, but also, you know, people that that listen to this podcast probably do turn to movies and turn to film as a way to, to cope and feel better and even just take a break from the world. So uh, this is a movie you can do that with. And and we really appreciate that. So uh, before we wrap up uh, Austin, Ryan, where can people find you? If after this, they're longing for more of you in their lives and they have an Austin or Ryan shaped hole in their heart.
3: At Ryan, hit me up on Twitter. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, at first. Ryan's game show.
0: At Ryan's game
3: uh-huh. show.
0: Got it. Uh, check me out at Owls
2: at Dawn. It's every every week or every month now. Austin. Every week. Every week. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah. Perfect. all
0: right. That covers us. Wow. Uh, Dave, do you have a social media or anything you you care about people? Dave, on you?
1: Dave Cyrus. D a v e s i um, r u s. Check out. Uh, I'm not sure what day it comes out, but when you see some, you'll be seeing something with Triumph the comic dog. Oh fuck yeah! Oh, oh, fuck funny yeah. You die. Uh, coming out Any day I think it was already Supposed to come out But it should come out Very soon We did something Very fun With a lot of Very Very fun Famous people That people should enjoy
0: Amazing oh. Tell Triumph yeah, What's up you doing that. Perfect yeah. um, And then you shouldn't But if anyone wants to um, Michael O. Burns On social media stuff And then uh, uh, Run a comedy Twitch stream It's at uh, Twitch.tv Godsy and Burns But we're taking a break Because the world is really serious Right now So we've done some stuff On the show Like interview some activists And stuff like that Until we get back Making dumb jokes Um but this has been Show Me the Meaning. Dave, thank you so much again for yeah, joining us. Thanks a lot for stopping Hey, anytime. Yeah, this is a lot. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Austin, Ryan, thank you for your balance as always. This has been Show Me the Meaning on 28 Days. We'll catch you later. Goodbye from
1: Hollywood, California. Actually, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee right now. But, you know, whatever.